Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The gonna keep on trying till I reach my highest ground edition. As the Bengals look to follow a thrilling season opening win over the Vikings by adding a road win over Andy Dalton and the Chicago Bears. Coming up, I'll talk to NFL Red Zone host Scott Hansen about the demands of hosting seven hours of commercial free football and get his thoughts on this year's Bengals. My one-on-one player conversation this week is with Evan McPherson, coming off one of the greatest debuts by a kicker in NFL history. Dave Lapham joins me to discuss the latest Bengals news and share some keys to this week's game. And finally, it's our Know the Foe segment as we discuss the Bears with their outstanding radio voice, Jeff Joniak. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest thing since the new smoke-belching Tigers at Paul Brown Stadium. The Bengals have put a lot of time, effort, and money into adding fun and excitement to the game day experience at Paul Brown Stadium, including the ruler of the jungle ceremony that takes place shortly before kickoff. I'm also a fan of the new 12-foot-tall tiger sculptures that the players run through when they exit the tunnel and take the field. It makes for a great visual as the tigers exhale smoke as the players come charging out. I suppose we can call them who and day. Now, let's get to my guests. Up first, a former colleague of mine more than 20 years ago at WTVH-TV in Syracuse, New York, after we both graduated from Syracuse University. Now you can watch him for seven hours every Sunday during the NFL season. He is the man who made your TV remote obsolete on NFL Sundays, the indefatigable host of NFL Red Zone, my friend Scott Hansen. So Scott, the Bengals and Vikings gave you the perfect NFL Red Zone game last Sunday. Well, first of all, to the one and only Dan Hoare, the man who helped usher me in to this crazy business that is sports broadcasting. Hello and and good to see you, old friend. Yeah, they provided the greatest red zone game of, of the week for us in a couple of regards. One, drama on the field, of course, and a toss up game in overtime. But you might not have thought about this. We had nine games in the one o'clock Eastern window. Okay. The, we had four games in the four o'clock Eastern window, but this week, week one, they were all 425 Eastern kickoffs, meaning we were, we went into the show thinking there's going to be like a 20 minute gap when these games end at four o'clock, there's going to be 20 to 25 minutes that we're going to have to fill with like dead space. And oh boy, the Bengals and Vikings, when they got going and when they, we couldn't decide a winner, we were like, we just need one to go to overtime. The whole NFL red zone crew was cheering for it. And uh, yeah, y'all delivered. And especially, by the way, this is inside information here. Our coordinating producer, our, our top producer on the entire show, diehard Bengals fan. Alan Flowers is his name. We call him Flo, and uh, he, he, he runs the show, and uh, he loves himself some Bengals. So he was, he was thrilled that overtime and a Bengals victory. Shout out to Alan Flowers. It's good to know. Well represented at NFL headquarters. We're chatting with Scott Hansen, the host of NFL Red Zone. You can follow him on Twitter, at Scott Hansen. So you are a college athlete. You're on the football team at Syracuse. How physically taxing? is seven hours of commercial free football. <laughs> it, it, it actually is. Um, I will, I try and keep myself in good shape. I'm 50 years old now. Try and keep myself in good shape, keep my energy high and whatnot. I'll be doing like cardio in May or June. And I literally think this is for, this is for the, the late, the last hour of NFL Red Zone. Push through because I want to have energy and enthusiasm commensurate with with the action uh in the in the last hour like I did the first hour because my form of sports casting is everything I do is usually a big highlight that someone is living or dying with 
either in reality football, rooting for their favorite NFL team, or in fantasy football, because their guy just scored a touchdown or their opponent just scored a touchdown or dropped the pass or gave up something. So I try and have that energy all the way through. And Dan, at the end of the show, I legitimately am fried. I am fried. I take my earpiece out of my left ear because I only have one earpiece in. So I take it out of my left ear. And because there's been stimulus in my left side of my brain for seven straight hours, I pull that earpiece out and I almost lose my balance. No joke, because it's so it's so constant. But hey, I, just like just like your favorite NFL players, I try to give you everything I've got on an NFL Sunday. And you succeed. So when you're not working and you're watching Monday night football or Thursday night football or a college game on Saturday, can you watch one game without having all of the screens going? Yeah, yes and no. So as you and I are speaking, we, we were coming off the heels of the spectacular Ravens, uh, Ravens Raiders Monday night game. And I actually have five TVs on my media wall which I, I know some people are listening to this, but if there's people that can see the camera, let me just turn the camera here. There's my, my media wall is over my shoulder. It might not look big, but that's a 70 inch screen surrounded by four 50 inch screens. And for Monday night football, I had the, the Monday night broadcast on the main screen. Then I put the, the Peyton and Eli uh, simulcast broadcast that people are talking about on one of the screens. I had NFL Network on another screen. Then I had a movie on one more screen and I had a, a news network on another screen. So I, I guess my brain is, there's a groove cut into my brain that I need multiple multiple streams of stimulus to, in, to enjoy even one football game. <laughs> I thought the kitchen was good. The media wall is even better. <laughs> We're, we're talking to NFL Red Zone host Scott Hansen. So NFL Red Zone started in 2009. On opening day that year, your first show, the Bengals are hosting the Denver Broncos. Cincinnati scores with 41 seconds to go to take the lead. Seven seconds later, a deflected pass winds up in the hands of Brandon Stokely from the Broncos. He takes it the distance 80-some yards to give Denver a dramatic win. Did you know at that point this channel is going to be gigantic yeah that's an astute observation because and that was the, the moment in week one of episode one in season one for nfl red zone where we said this this is going to change the way people watch football because keep in mind they were on the on the negative side of the 50 yard line but we cut to that game and caught lightning in a bottle at that moment in a way that Previously, football fans were not able to see that, not live, not in real time, right? And when we cut to it and the pass went in the air and Gus Johnson was broadcasting the game too, and he always throws a little extra verve into his play-by-play -play calls, uh, we were like, wow, this is, we have seen the light. This is going to change the way people watch football. And there's not a week that goes by in football season that someone doesn't tweet me or or message me or bump into me somewhere and say, hey, Scott, NFL Red Zone has changed the way I watch football. It's very gratifying. So let's talk about the 2021 Bengals. What are your impressions of Joe Burrow one game into his second season? Let's go. I mean, I, I figured I liked it. what wasn't to like prior to the knee injury. He was throwing for about 300 yards a game, right? And, and granted, they had been trailing in games and whatnot, and Mixon had missed some time, and the offensive line was kind of a mess, shuffling guys in and out for a while. But he was able to have success in his rookie season, clearly the hardest season for a, for a quarterback to have success. And I don't know him personally, but, but looking at him from the outside, I figured he would attack his rehab in a way that, that he has that energy and enthusiasm for 60 minutes on an NFL Sunday. So I figured he would come back strong. I didn't know he would quite perform the way that he did in week one, but I did really believe that the diversified weapons that the Bengals have specifically on the outside, I don't think, I think you're going to have 17 games this year where the three main wide receivers could go one after another. Oh, Higgins leads the yard, leads in yards this week. Chase leads it in this week. 
And I thought Tyler Boyd was going to be the guy maybe who might end up with the best statistical numbers at the end of the season. So for defenses facing the Bengals this year, and if Burrow is on and sharp as he was in week one, it's going to be like trying to stop water with your fingers. You know, you can get some of it, but you're not going to get all of it. What else caught your eye in the week one win over the Vikings? They were able to close the deal when it looked like maybe previous Bengals teams might not have been able to. Now, they caught a little bit of a break, but they also forced some of the breaks that they capitalized on, right? But you've been around the team longer than I have. We've both been watching, obviously, for years, decades. But you that's the type of game where some Bengals fans were probably like, here we go again right here we we had this thing we had it and we're giving it away again and all of that and they didn't they found a way they closed it out so that was something that would if I was a Bengals fan that was something that would give me hope going forward we are talking to Scott Hanson the host of NFL Red Zone so Bengals fans are obviously hoping this is the year that the team can take a quantum leap forward do you have a key or a couple of keys for what you think will help the Bengals improve this year balance on offense and, and we just talked about the wide receivers well that's balance within the passing game but if Joe Mixon can be Joe Mixon and if he gets this rhythm with the offensive line where they can get ahead of the sticks oh play action is going to be lethal lethal you got three guys that could get behind many safeties in the league and if they've got to creep up a little bit more if Mixon's running at four and a half yards a clip or something you know somewhere around there and is gashing occasionally where they've got to commit more to the box this there's no reason to think that the Bengals could not be a top top 12 top 10 scoring offense this year and then it goes to get a lead play opportunistic defense get some sacks, create some turnovers, and that's a winning formula in the NFL. It's going to be a, it's a brutal division, though. We all know the division is brutal. No question, but great call with Joe. He is leading the NFL in rushing through week one. So this week, the Bengals head to Chicago, be reunited with Andy Dalton as uh, he starts for the Chicago Bears. What are a couple of things that you're interested about in that matchup? Well, I wish that game was in Cincinnati, first of all, because it would be pretty fascinating to watch. We've already seen you know, quarterbacks going against their old teams and whatnot. Sam Darnold with the, with the uh, Panthers just this first week against the Jets. Um, I, I think this. I was at the – so I'm, I'm talking to you from Los Angeles where NFL media is headquartered. And I, I live and work out here. And I went to the Rams game on Sunday night after Red Zone – I wasn't tired of football, so I went back to and got three more hours of football after the seven hours of red zone, and I went to the Rams-Bears game in person. You all, you all watched it on TV. The Bears defense can get got deep, right? Stafford had – he hit the two deep shots that were both touchdowns. There were other passes that were, that were there to be made, and it goes back to what I was just telling you. Hit them up front. Hit them with some mixing. Make them – respect the run and burrow with some play action and and pick one of those wide receivers is going to be on their third defensive back right and and like i would expect at this point to see a, a 50 yard bomb be there for the Bengals. whether or not they hit it it's going to be there and, it, and that could be a determining factor as to whether or not it's a win or a loss if you're able to, to score seven points on that and not have to go on, a, on a, an 11 play drive I hope to call it. <laughs> Be ready. You're going to have to hit a lot of high notes this year, or you're going to have to hit, hit a lot of those big plays. My vocal cords are ready. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. It's light and refreshing with a hint of fruit flavor. In last week's win over the Vikings, Evan McPherson became the youngest player in NFL history to kick a game-winning field goal in overtime. I spent five minutes with McFearless this week, discussing his debut and potential nicknames. Evan, as soon as C.J. Uzama made that fourth down catch, we all knew it was going to come down to a game-winning field goal attempt. I went back and timed it. You had two minutes and 40 seconds to think about it. Did the butterflies start to get big? No, I wouldn't say uh, the butterflies really started to get big. Uh, I was super confident in... uh, Walking out there about the field goal, I felt really good about it, and um, I knew if I just, I guess, put a good stroke on it, hit it well, that there was a really good chance it was going through. So you said after the game you had never had a game-ending field goal attempt before. 
But how many times had you practiced that? How many times had you done that three, two, one thing in your mind? Yeah. No, I mean, I think that's something that every kicker does um, at least once every, I guess, practice session, you could say. Um, your last kick is a quote-unquote game winner in your mind. So I've done that probably, yeah, probably thousands of times over, uh, I guess, my time kicking. You wore a watch in training camp that measured your heart rate. What did you learn, and has it been helpful? Yeah, no, it's been super helpful. Um, I learned that early uh, during training camp it it was kind of high, which I felt like was hard for me to perform uh, to the best of my ability. And so um, just feeling that, um, knowing whenever it's rising and um, just kind of taking a couple deep breaths, um, just whenever I feel it kind of rising and just lowering it back down and, and just, uh, I guess you could say, thinking happy thoughts or, or uh, thinking back to, uh, to field goals that I've made, you know, either a couple minutes ago or, or in the last practice. Um, you know, I, I've done it before, so I know I can do it, you know, in the moment. We're talking to rookie kicker Evan McPherson. So you make the kick, and fellow rookie Jackson Carmen hoists you in the air. Did he catch you by surprise? And, and what was that moment like? Yeah, no, I'd say he definitely caught me by surprise um, a little bit. And uh, that moment was surreal, and uh, it's definitely one that I'll, I won't forget um, just to be put in that op- or position. Um, I'm just super thankful and, and grateful for, for this team and organization to, uh, to trust me uh, to win the game. Um, and, you know, I just hope uh, you know, I can help this team win a lot more games. Um, hopefully make it to the playoffs and, and ultimately uh, to the Super Bowl. I was watching you during the pregame warm-ups. You hit a 57-yarder in the same direction that you hit the 53-yarder in the game. Does stuff like that matter? Yeah, I mean, I think it definitely matters in pregame, uh, just seeing your limits and uh, obviously testing the winds in both directions. Um, I knew with the 53-yarder, I was had the wind kind of behind my back. Um, and with the game winner, I knew I was a little into it, so just kind of hit it pure and uh, I was going to fly straight. So, I was at a University of Cincinnati practice a few weeks ago, and their kicker, Cole Smith, came running up to me all excited because he noticed in your first preseason game on your first field goal, 40-yarder at Tampa Bay, you kicked the ball over the net behind the goalpost. And he said, in his words, that's next level, dude. <laughs> What was that like, and was the equipment staff annoyed that you cost them a ball? Honestly, I didn't know it went over the net uh, until um, Trunk came up to me. He's like, you know, like, you lost uh, the K1 ball, or our one ball. And I was like, how? He's like, it went over the net. I said, you can't get it back? No. <laughs> the fans just take it. Um, and so we were, we were down a ball that game, and it was pretty funny. But, um, no, yeah, I mean, just – Knowing that I hit a, a really good ball, um, I think that uh, you know hitting it over the net is not out of the question for for me. So, let's review your first NFL game. Youngest kicker in NFL history to boot a game-winning field goal in overtime. You received a game ball. You were named the AFC Special Teams Player of the Week. That's a pretty good debut. Yeah, it's not bad. Um, like I said, I'm super, I guess, blessed and thankful to be a part uh, of this team and just. This, the position that they put me in uh, in the games and and just knowing I have great guys uh, you know that have my back um, whether I make it or miss it um, I know that you know they're they're always going to be there right right there for me and um, yeah I mean I'm just super excited of how my career started and you know that really means nothing now um, you know we're on to Chicago and um, you know we just got to go in and repeat the same thing we did uh, against Minnesota last thing there seems to be an obsession among Bengals fans with coming up with the best nickname for you <laughs> Evan Almighty McFearless Kick Fearson Money Mick any thoughts I think all the uh, all the nicknames are, are pretty catchy pretty funny and um, it's made me think a lot about you know maybe coming out with a, a merch line you know maybe with uh, t-shirts with uh, some nicknames on it maybe uh the fans would like that we'll see um maybe something maybe we can work on that and and get those kind of pushed out to everybody but no i think uh all the nicknames have pre- been pretty unique and funny i was bummed i didn't come up with mcfearless that would have been <laughs> perfect after the game winning catch a kick rather congratulations on a great start best of luck this week yeah thank you
By the way, the kicker that Evan beat out for the starting job in Cincinnati, Austin Seibert, is kicking for the Detroit Lions. He went one for two in week one, hitting from 49 yards, but missing from 51. Now, time to discuss some of the key storylines heading into week two with my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. Lap, let's start with the news of the day. On Wednesday, safety Ricardo Allen suffered a hand injury last Sunday. He is going to go on IR. He'll be out for at least three weeks. He's the third safety, so you wouldn't think that would be a huge loss, but he played 21 snaps at safety last week. He played 19 on special teams. He had five tackles. He was actually the Bengals' highest-graded defensive player, according to Pro Football Focus. So how big of a loss is it? I think it's a. I think it's a loss. I think. I think it hurts them, and there's a trickle down effect, a ripple effect, in that um, you know they decided to bring up Trent Irwin at this point from the practice squad, which kind of puts the balance of uh, of the player dif- uh, distribution out of whack a little bit. Too many receivers, too few in the secondary, and that means Brandon Wilson. I think Darren Simmons is thinking, you know, well, if if he's going to go on IR, Brandon Wilson's going to be playing some more safety. How much can I use him as a returner? Trent Norwin has done some return work, so maybe he's just kind of leveraging that a little bit. Uh, but they also brought Sean Davis onto the practice squad, originally a second-round pick by the Pittsburgh Steelers. So maybe the roster manipulation hasn't ended yet, um, but I think they're trying to figure out how they're going to handle that uh, that loss for Ricardo Allen. He's got a little bit of a hamstring issue. He had it at training camp as well and exacerbated the problem on top of the hand so you have three weeks now to get that hamstring taken care of and squared away so the hand and the hamstring boy he's got more problems than a run over dog right now Trayvon Henderson is also a practice squad option a guy who played pretty well in the preseason at safety no question yep he's uh he he would have been you know you'd think logically well you know just one for one Trayvon Henderson and who knows it may end up how it's going to what's going to be the the final roster uh configuration you know, going into the Chicago Bears game. But like you said, uh, Ricardo Allen is – Lou Anaruma loves him in terms of not only his um, play on the field in terms of how hard he plays and effort he gives and all that, but his football intelligence. And I think Lou Anaruma would probably hire him as an assistant coach you know, right now. I think he feels that strongly about you know his understanding of the game of football and everything that uh, needs to be taken care of in the back end. All right, let's talk about some interesting things from the pro football focus grades. Beginning with tackles, Riley Reef and Jonah Williams. 31 pass blocking snaps, no sacks, no hits, no pressures. Were they that good? They were good. You know, watching the tape again, boy, they, they, they played at a, a very high level. You know, there were some, uh, some problems inside. Trey Hopkins had a very difficult time inside. And, you know, Mike Zimmer, I've got to give him credit. He said, Joe Barr's not the only guy recovering from an ACL. Got a center recovering from an ACL. Trying to come back in a very, very short time frame, a lot shorter than Joe Burrow. Let me do something I haven't done very much and put a nose guard over him, cover the guards up a little bit so the guards can't help, and put him one-on-one against a behemoth beast in Pierce. And he had a couple of difficulties, there's no question about it, but knowing Trey Hopkins and how dedicated he is and uh, you know, he's going to bounce back quickly from this. And he had his share of good plays, but you know, all it takes is a couple of plays. He he was basically the the reason, part of the reason for the two sacks. Uh, the offensive line gave up two, and then the running backs and tight ends in the in the pressure packages gave up three more. And that's Zimmer and Paul Gunther. They break protections down. They're going to try to work their schematic and their magic and their schematic until they find the right matchups. And they found some of those right matchups. And right now, the Cincinnati Bengals are dead last in the National Football League in sacks per pass attempt. Um, five sacks and 27 pass attempts, a sack every 5.4 dropbacks. So, you know, part of it is the opponent you played against. Um, and, you know, you've got to solve that issue. But the good news is Riley Reef and Jonah Williams played at an extremely, extremely high level. There's no doubt. Only two quarterbacks got sacked more than Joe Burrow in week one. Zach Wilson from the Jets, Ryan Tannehill from the Titans. Let's move to defense. Guys that got high grades included, B.J. Hill, D.J. Reader, Josh Tupo, Larry Ogunjobi. That seems to suggest that the interior of the defensive line played pretty well. They built the Great Wall of China, man. <laughs> they, were, they were good. They really were. They got push. Um, and, and, I, and I think I was surprised 
seeing Ogunjobi, the Bengals had difficulty blocking him and his first step quickness and how I can tell you as a former lineman that that when you have a, a big guy, 300 pounds plus, that has that suddenness to him and that quick first step uh, get off, man, that's a that's a that's a, a load to handle, and and they really took advantage of the Minnesota Vikings interior. And they did a lot of the same things. Bradbury's not a very powerful guy. He's a very athletic guy. So they covered guards and put a nose tackle over him and got him in some one-on-one matchups. And he got he got physically pushed around a little bit, manhandled. Um, the guards did at times as well. The defensive tackles were able to get a quick shoulder, a quick edge, an upfield rush on the on the uh, guards. And you know then they started drawing holding penalties left and right. DJ Reader drew three of them. Um, so, and Trey Hendrickson drew a couple. His matchup on Hill on the outside was another factor. I thought that he was consistently, you know, beating Hill up the football field. So you have the defensive ends and Hubbard getting up the field too, and then you push inside. It's it's really kind of. I have to tip my tap to Kirk, tip my cap to Kirk Cousins because he put up some serious numbers, you know, based on the pressure that he was he was getting. So. Uh, I, because they shut the running game down, and that gives you the right to rush the pass, and they rushed him well. Cousins got the ball out of his hand and, and found some plays. But not when he was throwing to the guy that Chittabe Awuja was covering for the most part. He was targeted 10 times in coverage, gave up five completions for 49 yards, no touchdowns. He was often matched up against Justin Jefferson. We've been blabbering on and on throughout training camp about how, how good this guy looked, and for people that don't have access to watch him at practice, he backed it up in week one. He did, Dan. You know, and I thought, I thought defensively as a whole, they played well. You know, um, and all training camp were like, boy, the defense is winning more of these competitive battles against the Bengals' offense. The defense keeps winning. They're winning, you know, well over half of them. Uh, they won practice yesterday, and oh, the offense thought they'd come back today, but they really didn't. The defense did a pretty good job. We talked about how good the coverage was all through training camp. Talked about the defensive line. You know how much improved they looked. Well, it was it was a fact. You know, it wasn't it wasn't that the Bengals' offensive line was struggling to the point where you know we thought they might be struggling, or the, or Joe Burrow was having difficulty, or the offense in general was having difficulty. Defense was playing damn good. And then when you got up against uh, opposition, they didn't play a ton of snaps in the preseason. When they did, they didn't give up anything. And in this football game, Cook, Dalvin Cook is legit. And they shut that running game down. Under 70 yards rushing, 3.1 a carry. I mean, that's, that's, that's getting after it. And Minnesota stayed with it. They didn't abandon the running game. The Bengals just stopped it and controlled it. So I think across the board, you know, you mentioned you mentioned more than a handful of defensive linemen there. For all of them to play at that level is is pretty pretty impressive. And you got to give a lot of credit to B.J. Hill um, in, in terms of how he grasped in a very short period of time, you know, what was going on, what his responsibilities were up front. You know, it's not it's not rocket science or anything like that. I don't want to you know <laughs> make it sound like he's a football Einstein, but. You know, for a defensive lineman, it's not that that complicated and sophisticated, but it can, it can be. You know, terminology and all those kind of things. Uh, you have to sort your way through, and he performed well. And another guy that has a good first step, where well, he has first step quickness and over 300 pounds himself, two sacks. That's uh, I think. I think the Billy Price trade might work out. <laughs> That's a pretty good return for Billy Price. I'm with you. Let's talk about Eli Apple. He had a stretch of four plays where three of them went poorly for him, whiffed on that tackle on third and 24, got called for pass interference in the end zone, negating a sack by Larry Ogunjobi. Then he got beaten on the Adam Thielen touchdown pass. Other than that, was he okay, or might Darius Phillips start to get more time on the outside? I think the coaches uh, feel like he was okay when they when they looked at the at the overall tape, but that drive obviously was an Achilles' heel for him. Um, and the old axiom goes, you can't let one bad play turn into two or three, and he did. And that drive, it just it you know it turned into it was catastrophic for him. It was a nightmare. The only other thing is I I remember a play where he turned down contact, and that's not what you want to see. And that's not what his defensive teammates want to see. So you can have, you know, problems. Everybody, the other guys are getting beaten, you know, getting paid as well, I should say, to beat you. And they will beat you every once in a while. But turning down contact is, 
it was not a, not a good thing to do. So um, hopefully he gets all that out of his system. And, um, you know, it's a, he had a, a short sample size of, of, uh, of difficulty. And because you look at him, man, physically, he passes the eyeball test. That's how he wind up being the 10th pick in the draft. No doubt. Big, long, strong. But um, I, th- I think he has lapses, you know. I mean, his, his focus or whatever, it's the consistency. That's what, you know, every coach talks about. Got to be consistent. It, it's, it's like you don't want to be a coach on the sideline with a player out there where you, you just keep flinching. Is, well, when's the train wreck happening? I know it's going to happen at some point. Oh, I hope it doesn't happen on third and 24, you know, <laughs> and those kind of things. All right, we've had a few days to think about it. Let's go back to fourth and one at their own 30 with 3.30 left in the third quarter, up by 14 points. I was pretty critical in real time on our broadcast. I think the expression I used was, I find it hard to believe that they did that or something like that. I don't remember exactly what I said. I I still think it was a bad decision. I've softened on it a little bit. To me, had it been closer to midfield, I would have said, yeah, absolutely, go for it. They've still got to get a few first downs. Uh, And if you do get the first down, you might be able to end the game right here, like Zach said afterward. At your own 30 at that point, I still think it was a mistake. Agreed. You know, I think the risk-reward didn't balance the way you want it to balance to to take that shot. And the biggest reason is the field position. Their kicker hit a 53-yarder as well. And these guys in the NFL, you take a chance at your own 30, you're automatically giving up three. You know, and then four plays later, Luana Rumo went zero coverage and fourth and four, and they get a 24-yard touchdown pass, and there's no safeties in the middle of the field to help, you know, the the pattern that was run by Thielen, who's a very good route runner and, and a touchdown maker, and he gets, uh, he gets you know, matched up, uh, you know, with Mike Hilton and has a size advantage and everything that goes along with it, and there's no safeties to help. So that was a very aggressive call. You have a very aggressive call on fourth and, and one, and then on the offensive side, and then the defensive side, a very aggressive call on fourth and four. Man, at least keep him out of the end zone. Don't don't let him have seven. If um, if the offense puts you in that situation, like I said, right away, they could probably score three. Make sure they don't get any more than three. So, but how do you how do you criticize each other? You know, the offense corner look at the defense corner. Why'd you go empty? <laughs> you, you can't talk to me. Why'd you go for it on fourth and one at the thirty yard line? But the thing that Zach said after the game is it's all about an aggressive mindset. We're going to be aggressive with our calls. He supported Luana Rumo's call on that play. So, you know, it's I guess that's the way it's that's the way it's going to be. And and sometimes you get the bear and sometimes the bear gets you. Speaking of the bear, let's yes. talk about the Bears. It's off to Chicago this week to face the Red Rifle, Andy Dalton, who was mediocre in week one when they lost thirty four to fourteen to the Rams. Threw for 206 yards, no touchdowns, one pick, passer rating of 72.9. What did you see as you watched Andy Dalton in a Bears uniform for the first time? By the way, Red Rifle, that was your designated name for Andy Dalton. Correct. And it's become, it's stuck. It's one of those nicknames that's going to be perpetual. It stood the test of time. Absolutely, absolutely. Just a great call by Dan Horde, one of his better calls of all time. But. Every time I see and hear other people saying Red Rifle, I'm like, come on, give my man some credit. <laughs> if I was should, smart, I would have made T-shirts. You should have patented that yeah. bad boy. Gosh, yeah. darn it. <laughs> uh, at any rate, um, what I saw from Andy Dalton is things that we saw in Cincinnati. Um, very intelligent, sees things quickly, gets the ball out of his hand. I mean, the ball was coming out in 2.1, 2.2 seconds. Um, the reason that, that Fields isn't playing is in the preseason against non-starters, he had the ball in his hand almost four seconds mm. because he's having trouble diagnosing zone defenses where he doesn't feel tentative. Dalton's got it. You know, he's got the answer to the test and it's out. Now, with that said, because of the way the Rams were playing defense and Aaron Donald and all the other things, we've seen this with Andy Dalton. He stretches the field horizontally, but not vertically. I mean, nothing was going down the football field. He finds holes and seams to throw into. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you, you look at that, the, thing, the thing about the Chicago Bears, they averaged 5.4 yards per pass attempt, 30th in the National Football League. And then defensively, they got 
just ripped apart, 12.35 per pass attempt, dead last in the NFL. Stafford just hit him for multiple, gashed him for multiple big plays. But it was such a, a contrast in offensive style. Um, but that that's that's Andy. Um, but a- Andy completed over 70% of his passes. But Dinks know, and dunks. For less than the first half per uh, first down per attempt, yeah. Just, you know, it's, he's going to – he, they are going to, by formation and designer for outside, they will stretch you horizontally. And, you know, you, dinks and dunks, it's like when he makes an intermediate throw, it's like, oh, he ripped that one down the field. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's very different watching him. But it'll be interesting to see um, Nagy, you know, scheme this a little bit um, and, and say, well, I, you know, I wonder – can we throw the ball down the field? Bill Lazor, former offensive coach here in Cincinnati, and, you know he's got some incentive. Andy Dalton has some incentive. I wonder if they'll try to stretch the field a little bit more. I would think they would have to, but at that point, will that interior pass rush, will the edge rush affect Andy Dalton? Uh, he he, every every human being is affected by the rush, but one thing you better know is Andy's going to get the ball out. He's going to get it out right away. So if you can somehow, you know, take his first couple of options away from him, and, and but he, he gets to the third one pretty quickly. I mean, he's, he's talented in that regard. He's, he's mentally about as sharp as any quarterback in the National Football League, realizing what he sees. So it's going to be an interesting matchup. So the Bears traded four picks to move up in the draft and take Justin Fields. He got five snaps in week one against the Rams. That number is going to go up this week, isn't it? I would think so. I would think so. And a lot of zone read. You know, he scored a touchdown, rushed for a touchdown on the zone read concept. And uh, I, I, I think he probably will. They, they will. I think they will increase his package of plays. But I think they're going to make it simple for him. They're, they're not going to be real sophisticated in the amount of reads that he has to make and all that. They're going to put together a package of plays that will emphasize his athleticism and, and tie them together. You know, a running game, a quarterback run game, you know, like a mini Lamar Jackson type game plan. A quarterback run game where there's play action off of that quarterback run game and the zone reads. And I, I, think, I think that, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if he plays 15, 20 snaps. wouldn't shock me at all. So we've got a matchup this week between the top two rushers in the NFL after week one. Joe Mixon leading the way with 127 yards and Cincinnati native David Montgomery second with 108. The former Mount Healthy High School quarterback who played college football at Iowa State. Is that the key to the game? Whichever one of those two guys has the bigger day? I think it is. I think it's a, a big factor in the football game. Um, if both these teams in week one ran the ball well. The Bears rushed it for 134 yards, 10th in the NFL, and they averaged 5.2 yards per in so doing, second best in the NFL. And Montgomery, on 16 carries, went for a buck eight, second, second most yards, 6.8 yards per carry, fourth best average by a running back. I'm not talking about the running quarterbacks and receivers went in reverses and all that, just a pure running back. He had a 41-yard jaunt, which uh, is the second longest of the of the week in the opening weekend, so... Um, it, yeah, they, 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 both teams ran the football. As we know, Joe Mixon in the, in the running game, the Bengals rushed for 149. Joe had 127 of it. Bengals were seventh in the NFL rushing after week one, and Joe leading the NFL in carries and yards. So, And then the, on the flip side of it, both teams stopped the run, which you know, in that phase of it is interesting. The Bengals 67 yards allowed, sixth fewest in the league, three yards per attempt, fourth best in the league. And then Chicago, 74 yards allowed to the Rams, tied for eighth fewest in the league, and 3.2 yards per rush allowed, tied for seventh in the league. So both, you know, both teams realized got to make the opponent one-dimensional. The only problem is <laughs> Stafford's one-dimension was pretty damn good. <laughs> they ended up allowing 7.7 yards of play because you know they're allowing two, 12, almost 12.4 per pass attempt. So their 7.7 yards per play allowed is last in the league, and those 12.35 yards allowed per pass is last in the league. They gassed them in the passing, even though they couldn't run it. And, and the thing is, the Rams didn't abandon the running game. The Rams ran it 23 times for 74 yards. You know, they, they just they, they wanted to try to be better, but it was like, man, 
Throwing it's pretty easy. Let's just uh, let's just dial it up and chuck it down the field. Stafford's passer rating against the Bears last week, 156.1. A perfect score is 158.3, so not bad. Not One bad. thing that scares me are the dudes that the Bears have up front on defense. Khalil Mack, former NFL Defensive Player of the Year. Robert Quinn, who's got 82 and a half sacks. Akeem Hicks is a good player. I don't know if Eddie Goldman's going to play. He did not play last week. They're good nose tackle. So this was a playoff team last year, albeit a 500 playoff team. But the strength of that team, in my mind, would be those guys up front on D. Yeah, I mean, I think the Bengals' defensive line was as good as any unit on their football team in the opener, and I think the Bears' defensive line is as good as any unit on their football team when healthy. I agree with you, Dan. I think Akeem Hicks, is he's a beast. I mean, he's, he's big, he's long, he's, uh, he's, he's physical. Khalil Mack, six straight Pro Bowls, you know, uh, over the last uh, last three years, he's forced 14 fumbles. I mean, mm-hmm. he, he's a he's a turnover machine. Um, I I agree. You have to you have to locate him. Uh, Roquan Smith is a is a Pro Bowl caliber linebacker. I think they have Pro Bowl type players. Eddie Jackson on the back end. Jalen Johnson's a good player at corner. They have excellent players. You know, at every level of their defense. But I agree with you. I think it's it's what's up front that gets it all started, and uh, it'll be interesting. Goldman opted out last year. And then, you know, wasn't able to play in the opener. So I, he, I think, I agree. I think if he does play, it makes it even a, even a tougher dynamic in there. And, you know, Trey Hopkins <laughs> goes from Pierce to Goldman. Man, that's, a, that's life in the National Football League. Um, it, it, it's going to be interesting to see which defensive line, which defense takes control of the football game and makes life tougher for the opposition offense for sure. Final hard-hitting question. Your thoughts on Andy Dalton's red beard? I don't think it's au naturel. I think there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of purchase color that's in that beard because it is the richest red I've ever seen. And normally, normally guys when they start to lose some of the color, it, it starts in the beard more so than anywhere else. And uh, but if if that's the real deal, very impressive, Andy. <laughs> Last but not least, time to take a closer look at the Chicago Bears, a team that's gone 8-8 eight and eight in each of the last two seasons and lost its opener 34-14 to the Rams. The voice of the Bears, Jeff Joniak, joined Lap and me this week on the Bengals Game Plan Show and says we shouldn't draw too many conclusions from how the Bears looked on opening night. I just feel that there's a lot of great unknowns early in the season, especially now with the 17th week. Uh, maybe teams feel a little bit... Uh, comfortable in the knowledge that they got that extra game to kind of sort things out a little bit. You don't know what you're going to get from the opposition. Uh, They certainly did know what they were going to get against the Rams defense being the reigning number one unit, and they played to that level, and the Bears game plan uh, showed that. They went with a short passing game. I don't think that is going to be their offense, by and large, and I I don't think yet we've seen what the concoction is going to look like. Uh, with Eddie Dalton and a sprinkling of Justin Fields, and eventually, when the time comes, Justin Fields to take over eventually at some point. But defensively, uh, uncharacteristic breakdowns uh, in this game. You know, I go back to there's 2015, maybe one or two big plays in the 50-yard range. They give up two in one game, which I have not seen from a Bears defense in a while. And a new defensive coordinator who's never called NFL plays until Sunday night in L.A., so... A guy who's been with the organization and Sean Desai for nine years, but until you're actually making those decisions, you just never know what you're going to get. But I think there's a lot of respect for him. And uh, special teams, uh, aside from the operation, that's the kicker, the punter, and the long snapper. They've been uh, standard for the Bears. There's a lot of new faces on special teams, new kick returner, new punt returner. So still a lot to sort out. A long answer. Jeff, do you think that the sprinkling of Justin Fields will increase on a weekly basis? Can the Bengals expect more Justin Fields snaps than they saw on tape against the Rams? Or do you think, okay, Andy Dalton, a lot of incentive playing against his former team, like you said, um, probably a totally different game plan. Will, will, it, uh, will it be Andy Dalton's game with a little bit of Justin Fields, or will Justin Fields sprinkle in more? You know, I don't know how to answer that one because, I, you know, Matt Nagy's going to be very uh, suspicious on that one. He just grins every time you bring it up. 
Right. You know, the sad part for me is I, I, I really do love Andy Dalton. He is, you guys know, you know him better than I do, but I've interviewed him enough times and had time spent talking to him. He's just, uh, you know, the, the humility is just oozing through his pores. He's a nice yep. guy, soft-spoken. Players love him. And, you know, he's going to walk into Soldier Field on Sunday. And, you know, this fan base has been whipped into a frenzy since draft night because of Justin Fields. And, you know, th- there will be booze. There will be, you know, the slightest – vibration of trouble for Andy will result in a lot of chance for Justin Fields. And it's, it's, it's really unfortunate. That's the way it is though. That's, you know, fans have every right to do that. The media is also part of this. They have whipped those fans into a frenzy as well, because every single day they ask about Justin Fields and they'll ask Andy every single day about Justin Fields. And at some point it's like, okay, let, let the man just have his chance. Let him play right here to start. Um, the sprinkling will be based on, I, I'm, I'm sure of this, and Dave, you know better than anybody, and, and Dan, a football veteran like yourself on both sides, it's, it's about matchups and situational football. And so yep. if there's yep. something that might benefit the Bears, you know, maybe Justin's going to get a few more. But I, I have no way of knowing that right now. Sure. Our guest is the voice of the Bears, Jeff Joniak. I'm with you 100% on Andy Dalton. I think the three nicest people in the history of the world are Mr. Rogers, Ted Lasso, and Andy Dalton. That's the big three. Uh, we, we are going to see the uh, the top two rushers in the NFL after week one in this game, Joe Mixon, who's currently number one, and the Bears' great running back, David Montgomery, who's currently number two. I think David Montgomery is the most underrated player in the NFL and wow. he's only appreciated in two cities, Chicago and Cincinnati, yeah. because he's great for the Bears, and he went to high school here yeah. at uh, Mount Healthy. Yeah. But tell us a little bit about David and what he means to the Bears' offense. Well, I, those are some very, very great compliments, and you're, you're not far off in any way, shape, or form. I'm an Iowa State grad, so in addition to Mount Healthy and being a Bear, I had my eye on him for a long time. I watched every snap of his at Iowa State. The content balance of this guy uh, has, has really been outstanding in college, and it's transitioning to the pros in the same fashion. Um, I love his attitude. He wants to be great. He's very serious about it. He goes to the end zone on every practice snap every single day. doesn't matter if it's 90 yards or 9 yards. Uh, he's emerging leader. Uh, he is... Absolutely a guy that's going to fall forward and not, you know, lose yards for you. He's really improved his hands. So, yeah, I mean, the underrated aspect of it, he knows it. He hears it. I mean, there's a great chemistry with him and Matt Nagy. They have a great relationship. And a lot of great things have blossomed because of that. And, uh, you know, he turned the culture at Iowa State. And maybe he's the guy to help continue that culture change at the NFL level with the Bears. So the Bears defense. Obviously, it's got some some players that are outstanding, Pro Bowl caliber players. I really like Hicks. I think he's a beast. Mack is obviously six straight Pro Bowls, super beast. I like uh, Smith at linebacker. I think I think he's a you know Pro Bowl caliber player at that level. And Eddie Jackson, Jalen Johnson. I mean, there's some some players on this defense. Obviously, they shut the running game down against the Rams. Did a good job in the in the running game, but like you said. Jeff, the, 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 the passing attack, the big plays in the passing attack, I, I couldn't really tell. Sometimes TV doesn't give you a real good sense of it. Was Chicago crowding the line of scrimmage? Were they, how, how were they playing defensively? Were they loading the box to stop the run and, and make it one-dimensional? How were they handling that? I mean, yeah, I mean, and they did. They made it one-dimensional, but Matthew Stafford, uh, you know, there's all these discussions out there. The guy may throw for 6,000 yards. I mean, you know, that's, that, that's uh, the pie-in-the-sky approach to it. But, uh, you know, they have a brand-new secondary, essentially, at the, at the, at the three cornerback positions. When you consider that Jalen Johnson is, uh, did not, not finish the season last year due to injury, he's the, he's the uh, corner one. Kendall Vildor, same draft class, his sixth-rounder, brand-new starter, started the playoff game against the Saints last year. And Nickel was a competition that a veteran, Marquis Christian, who's a versatile player, a former safety, plays all over the field on special teams, uh, beat out Duke Shelley, at least for this, this one game against the Rams. So there's a lot of newness to that secondary. And so there were some mental errors. And, you know, you can't have it, obviously. And they are fixable, though. These are fixable situations and how they played that game. Uh, but 
like you said, they've got stars at every level. You got the great pass rusher. You got the great interior defender. You got Roquan Smith. Eddie Jackson has not played to the level that I anticipated both last year and to start this year, uh, tackling a bit of an issue. That has to change. I, I, and Dan knows how I feel about safeties and the importance of them. Uh, but then there's other players, though, that are close to becoming very special. I'm talking about Bilal Nichols, who's mentored by Akeem Hicks. I'm talking about, uh, you know, getting somehow another pass rusher involved. Uh, there's a young guy, Tevin Gibson, uh, excuse me, Travis Gibson is, is a guy from Tulsa that I'm very excited about. Uh, so there, and Jalen, Jalen has the chance to be a very, very good corner. So there's a lot of great elements to it. And um, I think in this league right now, the nickel package is so significant. Getting that ironed out will be a step in the right direction. My final question for the voice of the Bears, Jeff Joniak. What's the biggest question mark in terms of a position group in your mind on that roster? I think I just, you know, outline some of it, but you got to go to the left tackle position right now, too, because, you know, they, they drafted uh, Jenkins, and he, he's out with a back injury. I don't know when he'll be back. Then you bring in Jason Peters. Larry Borm did a nice job, but, you know, he, he was not practicing today. A quad injury for Peters. Elijah Wilkinson, a career right tackle, got 21 snaps at left tackle last week. Borm looked good in his 15. So, you know, it's hard when they began the season without a left tackle with any NFL experience. And, you know, that, that is something that has to get shored up in, in the short term for a long-term success, for sure. So, another great player that I think this guy – doesn't get as much credit as he deserves as well. Allen Robinson is as good a contested catch receiver as I've ever seen, I think. They get, the guy, I, I really respect Allen Robinson. Am I crazy? Oh, no. No. Why would you be crazy, Big Dave? I don't know. Not about, I don't know. Not about underrated. I mean, is, is he a speed demon? No. But this guy gets open, and he's always available. He, uh, last two years, 300 targets. And he may have had one or two drop passes. And he cleans up your quarterback. Uh, he is a pro's pro. The most, I'll tell you what's most underrated. Because receivers come in like corners with attitude, right? They come in, they, they, they got to be. They got to be cocky. They got to they gotta own it. And how many times have we seen receivers talk themselves right out of, a, out, of, out of a game or a position or a job? This guy is pure class. He, he knows what being a professional is. And he's had his ups and downs. And he, he's had constant change of quarterback. He's had an ACL tear. He didn't get the contract he wanted. But you know what? He just goes to work every day. And this offseason, he spent it trying to work on adding speed to his routes in terms of his breaks, pulled away from the ball with yards after the catch, and just maintaining that speed on his cut. So, you know, working on things every year, and he went into, you know, his own zone. He, you know, it was not part of the offseason program. He did his own thing. I have respect for that, and he's always willing to fine-tune that engine, and I, I have a lot of respect for Allen Robinson. Here's a quick reminder to join Lap and me for the Bengals Pep Rally Show this Friday from 3 to 6 on ESPN 1530. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe, and if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thank you for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.